Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Matt Temple. And I'm Ralph Enough. Fan favorite Matt Temple is back to do a sequel to his hugely popular episode, Unintentional Gatekeeping. Uh, and this time we're going to take it from the other direction, reverse gatekeeping. When we say that, Matt, what does that mean? You know, gatekeeping is where, you know, people set up stages to keep people out. And, you know, Kings of War, we're very much the opposite. Like, we're trying to figure out how to get more people in. So these are things that we do either as a community or as, like, just the game itself that attract people, bring them in and and get them playing. So, again, very much kind of the opposite of the last one. And it's uh, a pleasure to be asked back for more content. That, That was fun. So what did you think of your brother's foray into podcasting on the Undead Army Review? So I told him I think he needs to do like an episode just by himself talking about Undead lore. He had some enthusiasm going with that. I was like, man, I could have listened to that for a while. So uh, yeah, it was good. It was a good listen. I'm loving all of the Army Reviews, hearing different viewpoints and ideas from uh, the different players and you know, seeing what other people come up with. Well, before we get to the main topic, let's get to some hobby updates. What are you working on? Pretty much wrapped up the goblins. I've got to paint a bunch of bases, and then I'm pretty much finished with that for the Slow Grow League. Happy to kind of see that pass. <laughs> Looking at uh, Adepticon, they usually have the Brush with Death competition. So starting to kind of focus in on getting some of those more uh, competitive pieces going. On my end, it's more salamanders. It seems like once you start a hobby project, it feels like you never get done. You just, there's always one more unit or one more model behind the next. Exactly. (laughs) Well, why don't you take us into some announcements? So uh, I've got two. Uh, January 27th, we are running what we call Hoosier Cloud at Sinclair Games in Indianapolis. And it is just a one-day tournament, three rounds, and it will be using all of the same rules as the next thing I want to announce, which is February 17th and 18th. We call it Hoosier Storm. It's our two-day up in Indianapolis, or technically Lebanon, uh, Indiana, but we're at the Boone County Fairgrounds. We have a lot of fun with that one, and uh, you get a special Storm Elemental, and each game it changes. So it has different stats, uh, like one game it will have like Radiance of Life, the next it will have like Cloak of Death, and the next will have something else. So uh, it constantly changes. I really like it because it makes list building a little different. Like, okay, well, man, if I really want to use this cloak of death, what do I need? Well, okay, that's great for one game, but that might not work when he's radiance of life. So it, it, it's a little more challenging to come up with the right list. And uh, it's a lot of fun. We have fun with that one. And is Lebanon like the south side of the city, the north side? It's about 10 minutes north. It's it's not far at all. Yeah, it's exciting. So February 17th and 18th is Hoosier Storm. Those that don't know, it used to be a, a multi-event convention. Mm-hmm. Like many things, it's changed over the years, and now it's a standalone Kings of War event. And I'm assuming Mike Carter's the TO again? He's going to be the TO, yep, yep. And then we've got right. uh, yeah, a couple of us doing various things just to help out and do stuff. So, Well, let's take a quick commercial break. On the other side, we'll get into our main topic, reverse gatekeeping. We'll be right back. I'm Marshall Temple, and I'm the best Temple. 
and you're listening to Countercharge. Welcome back to Countercharge, and now let's get into our main topic. I'm going to turn it over to you, Matt. Sounds good. So uh, our topic again, reverse gatekeeping, or what attracts players to Kings of War? Again, last time I was on with Rob here, we were talking, you know, what are some things we accidentally do to, you know, maybe keep people out or, or not be as open? And I thought, okay, well, if people want more of that kind of topic, what brings people in? You know, I've been playing Kings of War for a while. I know what I like, but thought, well, I should ask some other guys. What, what, what are they like? What's What are some of the new players thinking when they see it and they, they play it? So this is what brings new players in and how can we as, you know, those of us who are more experienced, how can we use that to bring more players in? Because I think everybody agrees we would like, you know, more players. <laughs> When you started your list, you kind of broke it down by the game, the hobby, and the community side. And I actually added one in here that we'll start with, which I didn't really know what bucket it fell into, but it's just Mantic. Mm-hmm. The point that I would make here is that you know, Mantic Games is unusual from many companies in our industry in that they do actively listen and engage the community. There was a couple things I would point to as outcomes of that conversation they've had with the community. Number one is the digital list builder and the and all the online books. I mean, that's something that I know me personally have been clamoring for for a long time. Uh, and then the biggest one that's probably the most unique is, is the STL files. Having a, a company of their size support STLs. It's unusual. Yeah, fully agree. And I, I, I love that you added that because I completely agree. What other miniature company can I go and talk to the head or talk to the North American rep and go, hey, Kyle, what's going on? And and they hear the feedback and they actually respond to it. I, I've had a lot of good conversations. I've had a lot of them going, well, let us explain why we did that. Oh, okay. That makes perfect sense. So it's unique and it's different in the greater landscape that, that we play in. There are companies that like sell STL files. There are companies that do a lot of online list building and books, but it's Unusual to have it all packaged under one umbrella for a game that's relatively popular. And I know the next category you wanted to get into has got a bunch of these here. It relates to the gaming. The game side. What part of the game itself do people, when they play, they're like, ooh, this is great. The first part of this is easy to understand rules. Kings of War, especially, once you play through it once, you pretty much know how to play like there's different things of course like what's surge what's this what's that but for the most part once you play you you kind of figure out how to play and how how the rules work there's not a lot of gotchas and there's not a lot of well i've added this character he's got this item and this item and he's with this unit and now i dealt 82 damage to your unit and you don't get any saves wait wait, what huh that's other games. It does happen. Kings of War, we don't have that. So those gotchas just, you know, they're not there as much as a lot of the other games out there. The easy to understand rules is certainly how I got involved in Kings of War back, you know, gosh, over 10 years ago at this point. You know, back in the beta, it was a eight pages of rules. And it certainly uh, has gotten a little more complex since then. But Mantic has done a good job of trying to not add complexity just for the sake of complexity. And uh, as you said, those few gotchas that do exist, like Surge, yeah, you get caught out once, and then that's it. There's no army-specific gotchas. You know, they're they're typically going to be generic special rule gotchas, like Surge. Well, Matt, why don't you run us on to the second point you've got? Sure. Uh, So the second point is Kings of War, for the most part, is a balanced game. And I want to throw out a a real quick... um, Thank you to the rules committee for uh, the last clash update. They're trying to keep things balanced. Each army, they're trying to have competitive against each other army. 
And not every game system out there does that. A lot of game systems, well, here's the new one. It's so cool. Buy all the models. Oh, man. Hey, we got a new army. It's even better than the last one. The RC is trying to balance things, and that was very evident to me in the last Clash update, that they were trying to keep everything even. Is that possible? No. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the effort is definitely there, and it shows in the game. It's obvious that, you know, you can take pretty much any army out there, even the ones that aren't any good, and go win Masters. You know, Trident Realms. <laughs> The herd with Keith Conroy before that. Yeah. From a balance perspective, I mean, there's two types of balance. One is you mentioned in between armies, and then I'll also point out that there's great internal balance in each list. Hopefully, it's come through in some of our army reviews, but there really isn't a lot of bad choices. You know, you can play whatever you want to play. If you got a cool model, play it. And I think uh, the internal balance within the list means you have the freedom in list building. You don't feel like I have to take. Siege Breakers, for example. There's lots of other ways to, to, to build an ogre list. I'll uh, double down on what you said before. You know, the RC does a great job of collecting data from various tournaments and, and organized play events and pushes that back into the game so that we have a relatively stable and pretty balanced game system. Yes, most definitely. And uh, the, kind of the next point here, Kings of War works as both a competitive and a narrative game. Like, if you want... Uh, you know, Abyss attacking Basalia, or, uh, you know, maybe it's uh, you know, the, a vampire undead army is attacking dwarves. Uh, you can do it. Like, whatever you want to do narratively or competitively, I tend to kind of look at things on the, the tournaments and all of that, because that's what I enjoy. But it is a fantastic game for the narrative play. I would especially say with Ambush and uh, the brand new Dungeon Saga, which arrived today for me. Uh, I mean, so many stories and such good stuff there. So it's really good for for both things. And uh, whatever type of hobby you prefer, Kings of War can do it. It's sort of an outcome of having a very clean rule set, that it's a, a simple framework that can be applied in any type of gaming structure, whether it's a competitive landscape or something that's more just for fun. Most certainly. Um, so the next thing is uh, outcome of a game is decided on the table. It's not a list builder's game. Now, don't get me wrong. Building the right list is important. That's something that you learn as you play and, you know, you get better at, hey, this unit and this unit working in tandem, all of that kind of stuff. But very few games ever in kings of war do you put your army down and go oh i'm doomed this game is not a list building game but as you said it doesn't mean list building is not important you can still make a bad list but the game is won and lost on the table by player skill and the percentages of winning go up or down based on your list there are games where i in kings of war where you sit down and you go oh uh-oh, but you don't feel just like there's no way i can win um i'm thinking my last game at michigan gt he had like 40 some odd unit strengths like oh okay well what are we playing dominate oh man like it's gonna be a tough one but at the same time i didn't feel like well there's zero chance of me winning was there a good chance no but did i no but the chance was there. It could have happened. A couple of dice rolls go one way or, you know, something. So it's it's really nice to have a game that you're not, you know, doomed before you start. I 100% agree that you can show up to the table and you can have things set against you. The army matchup could be poor for your army. The terrain layout could be poor. The scenario that you're playing could be 
maybe not optimal for you. But all that being said, because there are non-deterministic elements in the game, it is at the end of the day still a dice game. And the fact that we have exceptional results, you know, like the, the like Snake Eyes, you can always pull something out. Uh, that being said, too, I would also say that our scoring systems that we commonly use, you know, are not all or nothing. So even in a game where you feel like the, the, the table is set against you, you could still play for you know a small loss or a draw. You still have options. The next one, this is a, this is a big one for me personally. New rules for every faction every year or major updates to the rules. I know uh, uh, not this clash, but the clash before, like my the abyssals really didn't get much, but there were a bunch of changes to like how units worked. And I think it's really important to keep the game fresh every year. You're not just, oh, well, this is the army and that's what you got for the next eight years. It, there's always something new, something, some tweak, something to change it up. And I, I think that, adds juice to the game. I know my goblin list that I ran at um, the Ohio Workings is no longer legal because points changed and things changed. Okay, well, now I got to come up with a slightly different list and can I still do what I want or how do I need to change it? What got better? What should I take now? You know, Why am I suddenly putting together almost 20 chariots? I mean, things like that. Like, something I wouldn't have done normally, but because of the rules change, hey, I'm going to look into this one. Change is important so that you can continue to make a game evolve and feel fresh. What's really even more important, though, is the rate of change. You know, some some game systems have a high rate of change where, you know, every month there's a new codex or a new army book. They're turning through stuff. I can appreciate it from a rule or meta evolution, but I don't have the time to be able to do that. I don't spend all my days reading rule books. I think it's tied to the the next point we've got, which is because Mantic doesn't change the rules often, that it doesn't have to be a lifestyle game. Unlike Magic, the Gathering, you have to be in that game 100% all the time if you want to be competitive. You have to. There's no way around it. You have to know what's going on every single change all of the time. This is a game you can kind of go away from it from six weeks, come back. And unless you did it in like October, November, when we get the Clash of Kings book, you know you can relatively expect the game to kind of remain unchanged. Some of the other game systems, like it, it feels like it's a job to keep up with all the rules changes. Oh, most certainly. I've got a group of friends who do 40k, and again, nothing against 40k. That's that's their jam. Check it. Hey, we got the new update this month. Okay, how does this compare to this? Like, that's what they enjoy about it. Um, and, you know, that's cool. That's not what I enjoy. That is, uh, the, the older I get, the less time I have and uh, for those kind of things. And I, I want to spend my hobby time. Hobby? Yeah, exactly. Not just learning the rules. Exactly. And again, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, again, those guys, they love it. It's a bunch of fun. You know, some of their stuff is really well put together and painted. Just not my thing. And uh, I totally agree with you. Doing it once a year. If we look back at 2023, mm-hmm. there was two armies that got a good refresh this year, Northern Alliance and Night Stalkers. And then you got a Twilight Kin army that got a major refresh. Going forward, we should probably expect that. So it might not be annual. It might be two or three times a year. Still vastly different than every couple of weeks or every month. Yeah, I mean, every four months. I mean, okay, cool. You know, <laughs> as you said, you can step away for, you know, six weeks, something happens or, you know, life catches up with you. You go on a vacation and then you come back and you're like, oh, okay, cool. No worries. We haven't had a track record where Mantic changes the rules or the unit profiles so much 
that something becomes obsolete. I mean, this Clash of Kings 2024 is a classic example. There's hardly any nerfs in the list. Okay, your trombones got hit, my scorch wings got hit. But by and large, everything else is really about bringing things up and making it better, making them cheaper. You could go away and come back and your your army you were probably playing before might need a little tweak, but not an overhaul. And it's certainly not going in the trash. And even like the nerfs to my war trombones and the uh, bangets, I'm still not sure those aren't, you know, totally worth taking. Like, oh, okay, well, it's five points more. Hmm. Well, okay, no, that's still fine. So, I mean, uh, again, it, it kind of goes back to trying to keep everything balanced and uh, love that they did that and, you know, makes it a tad more interesting to put a list together, but not by too much. So, again, kind of keeps it all in balance. I look at the game as a giant ship, and so they course correct slowly. So they pull the wheel to the right, and the boat goes a little bit to the right. And then they watch what happens. They're not a race car driver where they're back and forth on the wheel. You know, they're making a small correction and they see how it plays out. I, I am a big fan of that style of game design. All right. If you're ready, we'll jump into the next, uh, I guess, category here. And this is the hobby side. Got a lot of feedback on this. So the first is just the appearance mass battles ranks and flanks like there's something visually to that that's just cool and you know every time my brother and i play down at a game preserve south side of indianapolis we always get somebody coming over hey what you guys playing it's cool to look at and that's attractive that is something that players want to play games that are cool to look at well in this day and age with everything pushing towards skirmish games you know, games with like a handful of models on a smaller table. And I get I get all of that, right? That the time it takes to build the army and to play the army and the space requirements, I get why there is that push to that direction. It's refreshing to go the other direction. Nope, we're gonna play this giant army against this other giant army on a six foot by four foot table, and it's gonna be the spectacle that you think of when you think of Spartacus, Braveheart, you know, any of the Hobbits or Lord of the Rings movies. That's what I that's what I feel, you know, and when I'm looking at a table of Kings of War. Next up, cool modeling opportunities. Lots of room, fabulous artistic creations, and slash multi-basing. This is a huge one. Yeah, multi-basing is amazing. You know, I'm a little embarrassed to say that when I first got into Kings of War, I wasn't multi-basing because I didn't actually connect the dots until later. So my first army, which was an undead army, is all single based. Eventually, I took those single bases and glued them on a base. If you're into the hobby and you start a project that you commit to the multi-base, you will never go back. No, definitely not. And I've got a a funny story that kind of goes with this. When I was at uh, Michigan GT, they have a paint contest. And so one of the entries was unit. I'm like, all right. So I got a really nice uh, ogre unit that I've been working on for uh, the Brush with Death. And uh, so I entered it. But it didn't go in the unit category. They put it in the diorama category. Ogre army I'm working on, that entire army is apparently a diorama. And that really tells me something about what our game looks like. That's way more complicated, way more impressive than five models, round bases put you know together. Nothing wrong with that, but yeah, totally different look. The complication's not in the rules, it's in the hobby. That's a fantastic way to say that. <laughs> One of the things that helps us get to the multi-base is the fact that 
in our rule system, we don't remove models, right? We don't remove casualties. You know, that's the key rule that opens up the multi-base. Not pulling 50 models off of a, uh, <laughs> out of a unit. Could you remember the day when we were, we were playing Warhammer Fantasy Battles at Adepticon and 20 to 30 minutes in between games that you're picking up your casualties and re-ranking everybody? Well, I didn't know any better because <laughs> nobody had come along with a game like this. It goes back to the once you do the other one, you're like, oh, man, I don't think I could do that again. <laughs> All right. So, Rob, are you ready for the one that shocked me? So talking to a couple of different players, they had something about the hobby side, about the game that they really liked. And I thought they were joking. They're not joking. They're not. Low entry cost to Kings of War. They say, hey, yeah, Kings of War, so much cheaper than other games. I'm like, mm-hmm. we talk all the time about how difficult it is and you got to buy a whole army and all of this. Two of them mentioned Ambush in particular. Like, yeah, you get the Ambush box. Those are good deals. One person told me, it's great. I buy the starter set and split it. That's like 60 bucks. And then I buy a mega army and then I buy an Ambush box and I've got an army. I'm like, wow, okay. Uh, yeah, that's, that's not wrong. So who would have thought... Kings of War, Mass, Ranks, and Flanks is cheaper than a lot of skirmish games. Mantic makes a great set of models, but when we're talking about their plastic Ranks and Flanks, they're inexpensive. And, you know, you mentioned the ambush boxes. I mean, there's no better value in gaming than the ambush box, where you buy a goblin box with 40 goblins and two chariots. And and I think I'm paying $40. I mean, my store discounts it. But $40, so I'm paying like less than a dollar a model, and that's including two chariots. I completely understand what they're saying, right? Uh, the low cost of entry. It also gets back to what we talked about before, which is because the rules are not in a constant state of change, you're not having to buy a lot of extra books. You know, I buy a Clash of Kings book once a year. The Mantic models, you know, especially their plastic stuff, are relatively inexpensive. You know, and I, the flip side is I know that some of the resin stuff can be expensive. But that's why I love the fact that they're moving those to the vault over time and giving people options. Yep, totally agree. And um, I would even say one of the other nice things is uh, I played a guy uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, he brought out blank bases with stuff written on them. And you know what? That's perfectly acceptable. If you're learning the game, don't paint up a bunch of models only to be frustrated when you find that's not the army you wanted to build. Play with some cardboard. Play with some plastic that's cut up. Once you get it locked down, sure, then you commit to the hobby. Another fantastic thing about Kings of War. One of the other things that was mentioned a lot was figure agnostic. A lot of new players I talk to bring up that, hey, I can use these models I already have. Or, oh, I really like that line. I want to use those. Or I've heard quite a few of, there's a lot of cheap STLs that I can print out. And I think that kind of goes to the low cost of entry there. Model agnostic being, you know, hey, bring what you want and play. They already have armies and they're able to take those armies and, and cross them over to this game and get them in. Every game essentially is figure agnostic, but there's very few companies that don't browbeat you over it. Exactly, which actually brings me to my next point. Uh, a lot of new players told me it's easy to make a manic army. From what I'm seeing, the pattern is they start the first army with whatever models they want. It looks cool. And then they play for a while and they're like, man, I need a second army because we all apparently do that. But I want this one to be all Mantic. And it's easy and, again, uh, fairly affordable to make that, quote, second all Mantic army. The Mantic armies, number one, you said it's inexpensive. 
But number two, the the new models they've been pumping out are great. You know, the new Ogres, the new Empire of Dust. Even if you go far back to the Abyssal Dwarves or the Ratkin models, but the new Goblins, the new Night Stalkers, the new Northern Alliance, every single plastic kit they've put out in the last three or four years are really great. And they are inexpensive. If you're gonna if you're gonna ask somebody, hey, you want to build an army and you need 150 models, Mantic makes it super easy. You go to your local store, you go online, and also it's a good point to point out: pay where you play. And playing in a store, if they don't stock it, have them order you an ambush box. And I should also mention if if you're if you're on the fence, like oh I don't know, I haven't really looked at a Mantic army since you know 2016. You probably ought to look again. Like I said, over the last three or four years, both their sculpting and their production have significantly improved. It's time for you to take another look. And if you want to take a, a cheap look, buy an ambush box. Completely agree. I, I would take the Mantic Ogres, the new ones, against pretty much anything out there on the market. They're amazing. They're amazing. Fantastic. They're multi-part. They have different ways to build them. And they're not expensive. I don't know. The ambush box, I think, is is it six Ogres and 20 Goblins? Uh, I think so. That sounds right. Yeah. If you don't take goblins in your list, like that may not be as good of a value, but that's why you play goblins and ogres. You buy the box and you get a little bit of both. There you go. Then you have three armies. <laughs> um, and then kind of for the last point, a lot of them said easy transport. Now I'm going to kind of take that. I don't think it's actually transporting them as easy. I think not having a whole bunch of indi- individual models is easy to transport. Like there are uh, easier options to to have and to move around. So you don't have to buy 30 different foam covers and put each individual model in each individual thing. And yeah, you take your your base, put some magnets on it, plunk it down, and you're good, unless you're my army. With multi-basing, essentially means you, you might have 15 units rather than 100 models. And because of the way the unit bases are set up, you, you have a lot of surface area to add magnets, or not even put magnets. You could just put it in a plastic container with some shelf liner at the bottom. Just packing up at the end of a tournament, way faster in Kings of War than my other games that I play. Oh, man, no kidding. <laughs> so, yeah, it usually takes longer to uh, get the tables put up than it does the army. And, yeah, not, not the case in other games. All right, so that's it for, like, uh, the hobby side of things. So now my favorite part, bar none, the community side. As a Kings of War community, you know, you kind of, once you get into the game, you're playing a little bit. This, to me, is what hooks you, like, the, the, just the people. So many times I've heard from people, they went on our Facebook page, or they reached out to someone in the community. That's what got them in the game, because of the response they got. Sometimes in, in gaming, it can be a, a little bit of a cautionary tale. That's the exception, not the rule for us. I would say we have the be- one of the best communities, far none, in gaming. Totally agree with that. Um, In fact, so I thought this was a great quote. Kings of War has a civilized community. I'm like, hey, I like that. That's pretty good. We don't see significant issues or arguments for the most part. You go to a tournament and it's just not there. There's, there's, There's questions, but it's like, hey, judge, we got a question on something. There are very few what I'm going to call questionable uh, rules interpretations or power combinations or I kind of hate to say this, dice issues. Again, that 40K group I'm with every other month, there is something coming up. Well, oh, this guy cheated at this major tournament. Oh, did you see that story about that guy? They, he d- tried to dump his dice in the toilet and they 
both came up sixes and <laughs> real story apparently you know we don't see that kind of stuff and quite frankly if that does happen well we, none of us want to play you again part of it is the type of people that this game attracts it's not a gotcha game there's less room for exploitation and so that obviously kind of cuts out maybe some 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 folks that maybe other game systems have um i don't know people in this community have been amazing Totally. Next thing, just a welcoming community. And this is my thing I tell my wife all the time. The games are fun. I enjoy the tournament, but Saturday night dinner at a two-day tournament is the best part of a Kings of War event. Bar none, hanging out, talking. Uh, I mean, you never know where the conversations are going to go, but it's a blast. And I don't think there are a lot of other games and communities where that new person, you're like, hey, come on, come on. You're going with us. We're going. We're all going. Almost a perfect game system if you're if you're highly introverted. If you can just make that first jump to an event, we'll take care of the inertia. In a good way. In a good way. You'll get to meet people. You'll get to engage the community. The tricky part, you got to take that first step and actually come to an event. It's funny because over the years, we've had all those conversations on various platforms where you get a couple, somebody will say, oh, I just, I don't like tournaments. Well, you haven't been to one of our tournaments because they are different. Yeah, I, I always tell people um, I understand that, but I challenge anybody to go play Eric Trowbridge. One of the greatest players in the country, but one of the absolute nicest human beings on the planet. It's so much fun to play against. Like, man, I got 20 nil. That was great. We should do that again. Like, that's literally how that goes. And uh, again, I think you're, I agree with you because the game is not a gotcha game. Hey, I won. Cool. Ah, darn, I lost. Oh, well. And there's not the uh, the hard feelings I'm going to go with that you sometimes get with other games and the way things go. You lose because of player skill. Exactly. The last little bit I've got on this one, a what I'm going to call it mostly non-judgmental community. I mean, there's a few things, a few people, you know, oh, well, those are all gray models. Mm. But for the most part, it's a non-judgmental community. You show up to a tournament, we're just happy you're there. So we're not going to turn anybody away. As you said, there's probably still some things about playing with unpainted models or I know back in the day we had playing with toys situation. Exactly. The story I want to kind of give with this one, when I went to Omaha for the Masters slash Best of the Rest, and you know Rob got to beat up on me that last round, <laughs> we're there at the top, the unquestionably you know top tournament in the united states you know that's the tournament that everybody's trying to get to so i kind of went in thinking that there was going to be a little bit of a, a an us and them like you know we're the masters you're the we're the has-beens or the n never have been not at all didn't matter to any of those guys or the best of the rest guys it didn't matter people were just happy you were there you were playing um i think they they clapped and cheered for you know the guy who won best of the rest as loud as they did for uh, Luke and the master. I mean, it, it didn't matter. And that's not normal. <laughs> like, you know, you, you have anything where you have a separation like that. And there's usually some little bit here or there. And our community just was like, no, you're here. You're playing. We're glad you're here. This That's awesome. We're self-aware enough to know that we need more players. We want more players. And we're going to do whatever we can to get people in the door and to keep them there. We want to keep this thing growing, right? It's it's a great game system, and more people need to play it. Totally agree. Totally agree. This is Countercharge, and always remember, if you're not sweating, you're not playing hard enough. Well, with that, maybe we could share a few comments that we got on our Facebook page where we asked people, hey, why do you like Kings of War? 
I can guarantee you everything that we're going to share is something we've already covered probably. And Danny Graves starts off with clean, balanced, gentlemanly play that keeps the game tactical without being competitive to the point of aggravation. Completely agree. Fantastically put. Gentlemanly. I like that. Paul Walsh, fantastic painter, if you don't know Paul. Uh, and he says multi-basing. It's like being able to build little vignettes that also double up as gaming pieces, which is so much more satisfying than painting a million individually based models. Danny Musgrave, the same thing. Multi-basing gives the game a real visual spectacle that lets the really talented hobbyists show off their stuff. That's one of the things that I don't know that we talk enough about. There are fantastic painters and hobbyists in every game. But when you have the ability to create miniature dioramas, it just opens up the creative possibilities and we get some extraordinary stuff. I mean, for those that haven't seen Paul Welsh's Night Stalker army, it's amazing. And then next up, we've got Larry Sturgeon. You know, his comment was easy to understand rules that are consistent with phases that make sense and fit together well. Again, goes back to that clean, easy to follow rule set. And then we've got Ollie Smith. Kings leans into the hobby aspect in a way that I've not seen before in miniature gaming. It's eye-catching, creative, and optional. An interesting distinction he's making there. You can go as far as you want to on the hobby. If you want to just dip your toe, you know, have plastic models that are painted to a basic level, great. But if you want to go all the way to that Chris Walsh level where sculpting from scratch half the model, you can do that too. Yeah, definitely. It kind of goes back to the the unintentional gatekeeping uh, episode where I talked about, you know, what I consider kind of the insane levels of, of hobbying that we see. This game gives such an open blank canvas. You can do all sorts of fun, amazing things with that. And it's really cool to see what people come up with. It allows you to define how you're going to be creative. If you want to paint models beautifully, great. If you want a base and make a diorama, great. If you want to sculpt and make models, great. It allows you to make your own definition of creativity and find your own self-satisfaction in it. So, so yeah, I, I love the word optional. And, and again, it, it does harken back to what we talked about on the last episode. Yeah, definitely. I, I would also mention because it's ranks and flanks and large numbers, you want to speed paint it that still looks pretty darn good when you're ranked up and in, in stuff. So again, it gives so many cool options with that. Nigel Wargaming says friendly tournament community and then talks about, uh, you know, you, you're not tied to specific brands of models option to make many dioramas. There, there's that word again, simple rules, but Machiavellian in application Machiavellian. <laughs> I love that. No super armies. Everybody's got an advantage and a counter. I completely agree with that. Kind of goes back to that whole trying to keep things balanced. Like, you know, we want this faction to be good, but not so good that, you know, they show up and we all go, "Eh, well, I quit. Again, fantastic way to put that. Scott Saley. Scott, the most prolific painter I've ever seen. I don't know how he paints all that stuff. (laughs) Friendly community. Many willing to help other players learn the game. With just about every defeat, my opponents have given me advice on what to look for, what to do in the future, and then talks about easy, clean rules and multi-basing. I'm I'm starting to notice a pattern here, Rob. All right, so I I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Jets, Turk, multi-basing. See, Gabe Toth, model agnostic. So again, the use whatever. Mr. Gaddafi, Moda. Two main things, clean rules that allow for freedom and list building and the internal balance of most units and armies. There's no clear-cut net list and player skill actually matters a lot, not just your list. 
I love that comic. You know, netless is kind of a dirty word, but you know, in our game, you certainly could take someone's list. We have a halfling review coming up, and you could hear Felix, who took the winning list from UK Clash of Kings, the halfling list, and didn't go so well. It, it turns out it's more than the list. You got to have player skill, and you got to have uh, repetition, and you have to have practice with that list to understand how the list works and how the units interact. Yes, most certainly. Randy Davis, it is by far and away the community for me. Board game nights and dinners and drinks make the tournament itself secondary. Such a tight-knit community that it's like hanging out with family all weekend. Everyone's so welcoming and excited to see each other. And I have to completely agree with that. It's got to be weird for anybody looking at a Kings of War tournament on day one to see how many hugs are, are uh, happening. Like, dude, it's because they see, uh, like, uh, again, it's going to be a little odd uh, to the outsiders. Aramis says that the outcome of games are decided on the table, especially rather than during list building or when choosing a faction. A lot of what we've already talked about. Page Neo, very little gotchas. Main contentions are always in positioning and intent can always be communicated. Totally love that one. And let's see, Nicholas Michaelonis. I love to see how much the community has been built up over the years. Every tournament, I look forward to seeing people I missed for the past months. It's a great time, and I doubt any other war game has one like it. It's special. I've played lots of different games over the years, and this is an unusual set of people. Interesting, unique community that uh, it, it is different. It is different. See, Matt French says, the community is great, model agnostic, multi-basing. Most armies feel unique. Every style of list is viable. One year update book is way better than the two month codex releases. It makes the updates more impactful when they come less frequently. Yeah, completely agree with that one. Uh, John Coyle Hodge, uh, list building flexibility and the rules are good enough. I can have fun playing mainly one opponent twice a week. Me playing mainly one faction, my mic juggles three plus terrain deployment objectives uh, options with each unit can charge adds up to never having a dull game unless of course the dice go crazy but that's part of wargaming like that uh, Erasmus Burger balance even when I'm not being competitive it's great not to have to choose between winning a game ever and taking units or design themes just because they're cool everything is viable for the most part all right and Looks like Henrik, Kings of War looks like I'd imagine a mass battle game should look like, and it does it for the entire game. That's a good point, actually. There's other games that are ranks and flanks where the armies don't start on the table or the way the game evolves it or devolves where it doesn't at some point it doesn't look like a mass combat game because we're not pulling casualties off. It always looks like big ranks and flanks units against big ranks and flanks units. Yeah, that, again, this is, this is a fantastic point because you got a unit of 50 dudes and then you, you lose 40 of them. Well, now there's like 10. Okay, well, that doesn't look the same, does it? So Next up, he says multi-basing for the hobby aspects. Clean games without too much fiddling around. And he says looking at you single model removal. <laughs> Balanced rule set and a nice company producing it. Those five kind of sum up everything we've talked about tonight. What more could you want from a game? What more could you want from the community? It's fantastic. Yeah, totally agree. So a lot of fun. And I consider myself lucky to have found this game and uh, to have fallen in with this group of, uh, again, kind of weird and crazy people. <laughs> there's a game for everybody and everybody for a game. But there's a lot of people out there that don't know about Kings of War. 
I don't know you, Matt, but that's kind of my personal calling in life is to make sure I tell as many people about it and show as many people as possible because it's too good not to share. <laughs> yep. Yep. Most certainly. And again, I think there are a lot of gamers out there who are looking for a system that is easy to learn, but takes forever to master. And there's always something new happening and just you don't have that stress. Um, I'm not going to mention the game system, but I played in a tournament once and I literally had somebody tell me, hey man, if you're not cheating, you're not really trying to win. (laughs) That is so completely opposite of what we have in Kings of War. If you are making a catastrophic mistake, Mm -hmm. they will tell you to their own detriment. We have a new guy named Seth. He doesn't play very much. He plays about once a month, but he loves Kings of War. He's come in. We gave him a demo. He's like, oh, this this game, I picked it up pretty quick. Oh, I want to buy an army. Let's walk over to the shelf. Northern Alliance army looks cool. So he has less time to play games. He's got plenty of time to hobby. You know, he had a 2300 point army painted in three weeks. And he comes out and plays every month with us. It's an optional word again. However you want to connect with the community at whatever level of engagement, We'll take it. Exactly, exactly. And again, if I'm ever down in that uh, area, yeah, I'd love to play him. That'd be great. Any shout outs we need to make? Well, I'll, I'll do a shout out to Mike Carter because he has been uh, doing his normal self. And uh, once again, in the Midwest, at least, TOing a ton of tournaments. So, Mike, appreciate you. Always uh, love going to your, your stuff. And thanks for running this part of the Midwest. <laughs> Reminder, January 27th, Hoosier Cloud, one-day event at Sinclair Games. February 17th and 18th, Hoosier Storm at the Boone County Fairgrounds. So if you're hearing this and Hoosier Storm sounds interesting and you're going to find yourself in Indianapolis, February 17th and 18th, come on down to the Boone County Fairgrounds and beat up on the Temple Brothers. Yeah, you'll have a good time, I promise. So it's it's a great tournament. Awesome. Well, you want to take us out? Sounds good. So thanks for listening and keep countercharging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.